Scripture reading today is found in Psalm 130, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you keep a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in, this, in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every... That's a great psalm. I invite you to... Uh, in your bulletins, if you have them, the text today that I'm going to be speaking from is Ezra chapter 4, or in your Bibles, you might want to turn there. Psalm 130 is very fitting because by the time we get to the end of Ezra chapter 4, we will see how they were perplexed and wondering what's going on. And oftentimes that's the case in life. We are hit with waiting and wondering and uh, wondering where God is and what we're supposed to do. Fitting today that it is Pentecost Sunday and we remember that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. He is present and he ministers to us. Let's, um, let's read from Ezra chapter 4. I'm not going to read all of it, but just, just to get a little bit of a background here. Just before this in Ezra chapter 3, we find that they are rebuilding the temple. Uh, it began with them rebuilding the altar. And they rebuilt the altar, and then some time passed, and they begin rebuilding the temple. And then we come to this Chapter 4, after they have started rebuilding the temple and the foundation has been laid, it says, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Eshardon, uh, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Yeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. 
We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them uh, to frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And then we find in verse 9 that at the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, so there is a new king that is ruling now in Persia, and when that king comes into power, they, that is the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, began, um, or they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And we go on to find out how they lodged that accusation. They basically stirred up the government of that time to say that if you let them build this temple, they will stop paying you taxes, they will turn against you, and you've got much to fear from the people rebuilding the temple. Well, the king caves to their concerns and to the fear around him and sends a letter, verse 18, and he says, I issued an order and a search was made and it was found that uh, this city does have a long history of revolt against kings and those um, in authority and a rebellion. And he tells them that they are to uh, tell, in verse 21, issue an order to these men to stop work, that is, stop work on the temple, so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. And so the letter is read, and we find in verse 24, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia or about 18 years they were waiting, and the work was stopped. If you had to give some advice, what kind of advice would you give? Uh, if you had to give advice about the hard knocks of life, what would you say? In this passage, we, we find about the enemies in verse 4, and we find about the exiles. And so this passage is about the exiles and the enemies and the school of hard knocks. A few years ago, I, um, we had both a daughter and a son um, married in the same summer. The summer of 2019 was a very unusual summer. Uh, two weddings within two weeks. And um, we, uh, we thought it would be, you know, when we heard people in the, the woes of 2020, we actually thought, why didn't that happen sooner? That'd been a lot cheaper if we could have uh, just had those two weddings um, uh, during COVID. We wouldn't have had to have that. But anyway, it was a, it was a great time. We, we loved it. Leading up to the wedding, um, we wanted to do a, sort of a wedding shower. Uh, and I had a friend of mine who uh, started a tradition that... Um, the ladies have showers, and uh, so men have men have storms, and so we we did a man storm for my son and for my son-in-law to be, and a man storm is a little bit different. Ladies get together and they tell stories and they 
give gifts and all sorts of that. You know, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't actually been to a shower, as, as they're so-called. I've heard stories about them, but uh, we wanted to do a man's storm. So the man's storm was in a garage. We, we cleared out the equipment and we... Um, and brought in a bunch of food. We, we, I had a guy that um, makes a great smoked brisket, and so he smoked a brisket. We got this big brisket, and there were about 30 guys there, and we bestowed on these guys our wisdom. And um, so some of the guys just kind of gave um, some general things about wedding and marriage, and some of them were not so, you know, profound. Uh, as far as, you know, wedding things go. And um, these weren't them exactly, but some of them were something like this, that um, uh, crime doesn't pay. I once heard about two guys who stole a calendar. They got six months each. Uh, I wouldn't buy anything with Velcro. It's a total ripoff. Or um, did you know that dogs can't operate MRI machines? but cats can. Uh, these are profound words that come from men sometimes. Or this one, Sundays are always a little sad, but the day before is a sadder day. Uh, what would you give? You could take those home and ponder them. They, those are some of the deep things of life. But if you were to give, you know, maybe at this man storm, if you were to give some advice about the hard knocks life, some of the difficulties, what might you say? Actually, I was coming to this passage and kind of caught my eye because I was thinking about that man storm. And, I, and, and the, the two boys, my son, his name was Jesse, and the son-in-law-to-be, his name was Benny, or Benjamin is his full name. And I came to this passage in verse 1 of chapter 4, and, uh, and here is, here are these two guys, or families, Judah. Did you know that of the line of Judah, that's where David came from? And David's dad was Jesse, that's who we named our son after. And then there's another of those tribes, so, you know, basically one of the sons of Jacob years later was Jesse. And then... One of the other son, sons, his name was Benjamin. So I was reading this and I thought, it's kind of like, okay, we're coming to this passage and this passage is about some of the hard knocks of life. It's kind of like, uh, you know, what would I say to my Jesse and to my Benny? You know, if I, yeah, I, I shared some stuff with them at the man's storm, but if I was to share with them about the hard knocks of life, about the difficulties, not just the dad jokes kind of thing, but what would I share with them? And man, this passage has something to share. So one of the, I, I, I've broken it down basically into five different lessons that we can pull out of this passage that they had to learn as they were going through this time in their life. The, the first thing that I would say when it comes to the school of hard knocks that is actually just before this passage, is uh, life is going to have regrets. So I guess the hard lesson is just about regrets in life. Don't kid yourself. Life will have regrets. You see, just before this, 
they had begun to build the wall. And as they were building the wall, they had, or sorry, the foundation of the, of the temple, as they begun to build the temple, says in verse 12 of chapter 3, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept. They wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. Now at the same time, there were others that were shouting for joy. No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. The sound was heard far away. There are regrets in life. The temple was destroyed because of division. The temple was destroyed, that is the previous temple, because of disobedience, because God allowed them to go into captivity because of their disobedience and failure to follow after him. And some of the people were still around that saw that original temple, and when they saw the new one being built, when they saw even the foundation being laid there, it just overtook them. They were filled with regret, filled with sorrow for what could have been or what was and wasn't today. And, and I know that about my life, and I think the older you are, the more you realize life has some regrets. Life will have some regrets. It's, there's a great Tom Cochran song. I love it. It's called No Regrets, and, uh, <laughs> but it's not completely true. There will be regrets. You, you heard it said, you shouldn't cry over spilt milk. Well, sometimes you do need to cry over spilt milk. Part of the way of dealing with our regrets is to recognize them. And so the people there, there were some people that they knew what regret was. I hope they told and instructed and encouraged those who were building the new temple not to make the same mistakes that they did. But sometimes you just need to, and we find this further in the book of Haggai, as a prophet speaks about this very same time, and he, he, he made them look at the wall, or the look, look at the, the temple and see what it was like. Sometimes you got to look at the mistakes you've made and spend some time grieving over that. When it comes to regrets, well, life gets messy if you have too many regrets. In this passage, it talks about them. You couldn't hear, you couldn't make sense of anything because there's, there's this mixture between joy and this mixture between weeping and there's so much noise. And sometimes if we have too many regrets in life, it just gets noisy. So the answer to that is be very careful that you don't pile up a whole bunch of regret. And the way to do that is to live in obedience. But here's one of the other things that I would say about regrets is that regrets are for old people, or they ought to be. <laughs> These are people that were old enough to know what had been lost. But the thing about regrets is that they are made in the days when you're younger. And they had been disobedient in their younger days, and not followed after God, and so they lived with the regrets. Life has regrets. But there is a beautiful thing that we need to know as well, is that God deals with our regrets, and he is able, in another passage it talks about, to able to restore the years the locusts have eaten. 
The way to deal with our regrets, yes, we do need to weep over them. We do need to grieve over them. We do need to instruct the younger generation. We do need to try and help them, encourage them not to make the same mistakes. They will not always listen. But for us, we need to surrender them to God and say, Lord, with the remaining days that I have that you have given me, I'm going to redeem the time, the scripture says, because the days are evil. I can buy back some of that time. I can live now for Jesus and not add more regret into the latter days of our lives. It is sad to see older men and women who spend their latter days angry to the Lord for things that have happened, for regrets they have, and pour more regret upon that. If you want to see examples of that, just take a look at some of the kings in the Old Testament and how they finished off their lives. One of the schools of hard knocks are regrets. You will have regrets in life. Try to minimize the regrets. God wants and invites you to deal with the regrets and to move forward and make life without regrets as you move forward. Well, if I was to say to my Jesse and my Benny, in the school of hard knocks from this passage, I would say another lesson is the lesson of opposition or the lesson of enemies. You know, we can live life thinking that, um, and this is a bit of a downer message in some ways because, and, I, and we'll get to positive, but uh, there's, some, there's a hard lesson of life and that's that not everyone is your friend. Even if you have an optimistic attitude, and there's an interesting sort of buzzword going around here now, toxic optimism. Um, you know, if you look through the world through rose-colored glasses, always, you will come face-to-face -face with the fact that not everybody has your best interests at heart. Not everyone is out to protect you. As a matter of fact, there are people who have very little interest in your well-being. An enemy, I would suggest, and this passage refers to them as the enemies of Judah or the foes or the adversaries. It is someone who has no regard for your well-being and, matter of fact, is interested in harming you. Well, enemies, they do exist. Verse 1, the enemies of, let me say, Jesse and Benny, you will have enemies. You'll have people against you. And it's not just that they are passively uninterested in your world. They are against you. And they come in all shapes and sizes. These were people, look, at. they started off by saying to them, uh, you know, let us help you out with this building. But before they said, let us help you out with building this, this, uh, this temple, it says they are the enemies of Judah. Now, where do these people come from? Well, we find out, and you can read uh, more about this back in 2 Kings 17, but it says, it gives us a little bit of picture in this passage. Uh, it says, uh, they start to say in verse uh, 2, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Eshardon, uh, king of Assyria who brought us here. So what had happened is a number of years earlier, 
the leader in uh, Persia and Babylon had been uh, concerned about what was happening down in Samaria and, and that there weren't enough people and so on. So he sent people down to occupy the land where the people from Israel had come up out of. And as they went into that land, you can read in 2 Kings 17, they were attacked by a bunch of lions, and a lot of people were dying because of it. And they concluded that what was going on is that the people in Samaria, the people that they had sent into this country to, be, to, to occupy it, where Israel had, had previously been, when they went down in there, these lions were killing enough people that they said, well, the problem is you've got you to gotta be um, worshiping the right God. And so they set up some sort of worship of the, of, of the God of Israel, and they used some of their practices, but they mixed in a lot of their own practices, and things didn't, didn't go well. And, and we find out that later on, these Samaritans are ones who had compromised what God had intended and were really trying to distort what God had given very clear instructions to them about when it came to worshiping him. And so when they saw that these these uh, people, God's people uh, of uh, Judah and Benjamin were coming back into the land and they were rebuilding the temple. They were threatened because what they had thought that they should be allowed to do and continue to do suddenly had truth coming against it. And so rather than trying to align themselves with truth, they, they, they try to distort the truth. They try to manipulate the people. And they say, well, let's, let's, uh, let's go to them and say, we'll help you build. Now, thankfully, the leadership at that time saw right through the ruse and what was going on. And so they, their response was, no, you will not be allowed to help us build. Because here's another thing about enemies. Enemies can be very subversive. Enemies can be very shrewd and manipulative. Don't underestimate enemies. They do not have your best interest at heart. They were conniving for how they could destroy these people. They came to him to begin with saying, let us help you, which was their way of trying to get in there and trying to control it and try and bring disarray. And if there's any question about that, we find out that it's made very clear in the passages uh, as it moves on that when they were not allowed to build then, then they began to work very clearly to discourage the people, to try and get them to stop, to try and work against them, to be subversive. Now, I'm not here to say that we need to look at life through the lens of a whole bunch of enemies out there to get us. I don't think we need to work in those sort of conspiracy ideas, but we need to recognize that not everyone has our best interests at heart. This is true most especially when it comes to spiritual matters. Let's not kid ourselves that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, that that is a popular idea. There is one way to God, Jesus Christ. People will not like that message. People will be very angry, in fact, to hear it. People will be against what the church stands for if it carries that message. But Jesus said in 
the next chapter after he said, I am the way, the truth, and life, he said this, said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would have loved you as its own. Keep in mind that they hate you because they hated me first. Now, we are not out to try and stir up hatred towards us. That is not the goal of the church. That is not the goal of a Christian. But let's not be naive. The message of Christ is a stumbling block, 1 Corinthians says. It is not popular. And we do not seek to try to popularize it. We seek to try and teach what the Bible says, that Jesus Christ offers salvation. And so in this passage, this building of the temple needed to be done very specifically because what is taking place in the temple will be a representation, will be something that will point towards what Jesus Christ would later come to do. And so there were not to be compromises in how the temple was to be built. It needed to follow the instructions very clearly that God had laid out. And these people who were trying to come alongside and help were not interested in following those instructions. They made that clear already by the way they were practicing their beliefs. But I don't want to, as I say, cause us to be stirring up needlessly ideas about people are out to get us. Matter of fact, we are to be careful that if people have something against us, that it is because of what we're doing for Christ, not because we're being obnoxious, irritating people. We're to love. We're to be good examples when it comes to government, we are to pray for those in authority. We are to submit to them. But let's not live under illusion that people will stand up and applaud what we're doing if we're really following Christ. Lesson number three is a hard one. It's in the last bit of this passage because they had this opposition against them and to begin with the people hired counselors and worked against them to discourage them and then when that didn't work another leader came in and they subversively went to that leader and told the leader all sorts of things that the the people of Israel would do and they're always rebellious and that they would not pay taxes and that sort of stuff and 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 then when when they made that appeal to the new leadership, to the new government, that government shut them down. And here's lesson number three. It's a lesson about waiting and the lesson of the standstill. God's waiting room is one of the most difficult places to be. God's waiting room hits us when we're trying to do things and it doesn't seem to move forward. God's waiting room happens when we have all sorts of hopes and aspirations for our future and for maybe our future with a loved one and that loved one is taken or the loved one is stricken with an illness or people that we love are not the kind of people that we wish they would be. And all of the thoughts about what we would do in our lives and 
You know, the promises of God seem to come to a standstill, much like the people in this passage when God had told them to go from Babylon down into the area of Jerusalem and they would settle in that area and then he said, begin building my temple and they had begun to lay the foundations of the temple and now it comes to a standstill and it comes to a standstill for about 18 years. Folks, that's a long time. 18 years of waiting and wondering. A lot of questions come to your mind, especially if you were thinking, well, God told us that this is what we're supposed to do. You know, the big question that comes to my mind and will come to your mind when you're sitting and waiting and wondering is just a simple question of why. What's the purpose of this? Why is this happening? We don't really know from this passage. It doesn't tell us the answer to the why. At least that I can see there's indicators, perhaps. We, we wonder, you know, did I misunderstand God? Did I, did I get this wrong somehow? I, God seemed to tell me that, you know, my life would be this way, and now what's going on? Did, did God forget and, we, and yeah, I know we have these, you know, the theological sort of answer to those things. Of course, didn't, God didn't forget. But, but when you're in God's waiting room, sometimes it feels like God forgot. You wonder, did, did God change his mind? Maybe we weren't supposed to build the temple. You start saying, well, maybe we're not doing what God wants us to now. Maybe we should be marching on the temple. Maybe we should be opposing them. We don't get that indication from here. What do you do when you're in God's waiting room? You wait. And you wait carefully. God will make his plan clear. The more we fight, the more he will start to show us things in a painful way, but it's difficult to wait. And this is one of the reasons why we are so thankful for the Holy Spirit's presence, because we don't wait alone. We recognize today is the day that we celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit who comes to us to be a comforter, to be a guide, to be one who convicts, we have that in our lives now. If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Scripture tells us that if, you have, uh, that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not one of His, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in our hearts, in our lives, and guides us. And He's also known in the book of John as the Comforter. Boy, do we need a Comforter when we're in God's waiting room. It's a dangerous time when you're in the waiting room. You, you start to set different priorities. You start to kind of give up on God. Maybe some of you are in that place right now. Some of you may be in a, just a place of pure crisis right now. Maybe it's the beginning of questioning why and what's going on. But from this passage, we really don't know the answer to the why. Some have speculated, 
We find from some sources outside the Bible that during this time in Persia, there was a battle, number of battles that were being fought by Darius against nine different rebels, rebel country groups. And um, if they would have continued on building there, they would have uh, probably been overthrown because, now this is all speculation, because there was great concern over those who would be rebellious. We, we see the concern uh, leading up to this for the letters that go out to, uh, to King Artaxerxes, knowing that there is a, a, a tone of rebellion that's in the broad kingdom, I guess you could say. And so when he heard that perhaps the Jewish people might be part of something like that, he wanted to shut it down. I don't know, that's maybe some of it. But for whatever reason, God put him in an 18-year waiting time. 18 years a long time. When you're in that waiting time, what do you do? You wait, you look to the Lord, and you be very careful of the priorities that you're rearranging your life around. Because when Haggai comes to them, you can read about this uh, in the book of Haggai, one of the last books in the Old Testament. And this is one of the prophets that, uh, that spoke during the time. And as they are getting ready to rebuild, Haggai is coming to them and he's speaking to them about some of the priorities that they had in their lives. And that's what, where they were, rather than keeping the priority of readiness for the temple when God would say they started to just build their own homes and make comfort and kind of blend in like the people of the area, just like they were before God led them out. During waiting times, we need to be very careful of the priorities that we set. Be very careful of the pursuits that come into our lives to try and deal with the pain that comes with being in this place of waiting. I wish there were good answers to all of this. All I can say is here's the school of hard knocks. There's some times in life when it's just wait and it's standstill. Here's another one, lesson number four. This is more on the solution side of things and, and more on the answer to what do you do and that's to remember. Remember and I'll say recenter or recalibrate. So lesson four, remember, it comes from the very first verse there, remember that you are exiles. You know, that is a good thing for us to keep in mind. This world is not our home. That, that for, them, for them to remember, and he uses the term here, remember that you're exiles. Remember what happened that led you out before. Be very careful that you don't repeat some of the same mistakes. Don't settle in and get so comfortable in your homes and life and everything that you forget that this is not the place where God ultimately has designed for you to be. That you are strangers, you are pilgrims. And there's several passages, but... Uh, um, uh, First Peter talks about that you are to the exiles uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and into chapter 12, uh, that they were strangers and pilgrims. We are exiles. Remember that the priorities that might present themselves to our lives right now are very misleading. And we need to be very careful in the times of wandering to remind ourselves where we came from, where we're going ultimately, and that we don't misplace our priorities. 
the last thing is, and it's kind of a throwback to last week, <laughs> is to recenter, to recalibrate, to figure it out again where this all revolves around, and that's back to the altar. See, during this time, these 18 years, I am assuming that they continued to follow after God. Maybe not like they should have, but they had set up the altar, and that altar had the practices that God had laid out earlier in the Old Testament, and they continued those practices for those 18 years. You see, even if they didn't build the temple, they still had the instructions about what they were supposed to do with the altar. And we need to recenter on the altar. Now, last week, I tried building this crazy thing. Um, and <laughs> I, I'm realizing I'm not, um, I'm not a wagon wheel maker. Uh, so I, 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 I got it kind of figured out. I got it so that the center things would stay in. And, and I learned a bit about a wagon wheel. Um, the runner on this is pretty bad. I had to hold it together with duct tape. Um, but but the, the center, I, I am finding more and more how important this middle part is. If you don't have the holes straight in here, it's hard to get these outside spokes in there properly. And if, if, you, if you looked at this closely, which uh, you, sh you probably shouldn't do, you just laugh. Uh, see, they're not sitting in there way right. You had to put any weight on this thing, it wouldn't go well. If you made the center properly, if you, if you had it tuned up properly, if you had started it right in the first place, you could center everything on that. You could remove some of these spokes. You could rework them, and, uh, and it would work fine if you had a good solid core. And the altar, as I spoke about last year, that's our core. When, when we're sitting and we're waiting, when we're trying to deal with enemies, when we're trying to deal with those who would come against us, when we're trying to uh, deal with the regrets of life, we tie him into the core and we remember that this is ultimately what it's about. That God sent his son to die for our sins and that would allow us to live the kind of life that God had purposed for us to live. And we always come back to the altar. And we, in view of God's mercy, offer our lives as living sacrifices that all of our busyness of life needs to find its center in Jesus Christ. So this morning I was thinking, all right, so what should I say to my Benny and my Jesse, <laughs> the, the Judah and Benjamin here, if it was the school of hard knocks, I'd say, well, yep, there's going to be some regrets in life. Don't make them too many. Give them to God. It's going to be some opposition. There's people, don't kid yourself, not everyone's your friend. Find people who will be your friends that you can work alongside, who share the same values. Don't become unequally yoked. Scripture says, watch out for those times and they will come when life is full of waiting and standstills. Remember where you've come from. Don't make yourself too comfortable in the here and the now. Think of yourself as an exile and recalibrate yourself to the core, to the cross of Christ. 
Those are maybe some of the school of hard knocks from Ezra chapter 4. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's a heavy chapter because it's 18 years of heaviness sitting and waiting and wondering what's going on. But Lord, you're faithful and you have given to us your Holy Spirit. We are so thankful for that. We are not alone. We're not as orphans here. We have your presence. So Lord, teach us and help us to weather some of these storms and these waitings, knowing that you are present with us. We center ourselves around what you have done around Jesus Christ. He is the core of our lives and what we profess, what we believe, and what we live. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. When we were planning some music for this uh, service, I said to Pastor Brian, I said, you picked the closing song. <laughs> I had read through Ezra chapter 4. <laughs> uh, this this is, uh, this is an interesting chapter to, to present, but it's part of God's Word. And um, I was sitting in my office at Ellerslie on Thursday, and I was planning music for some services coming up for us there, and I came across this one, and I texted Brian right away. I said, you know what? This one might work for a closing song because it speaks of the faithfulness of God, and especially when we're in those times of trouble, opposition, and or, and or just waiting, um, God is still there. He's there. He's He's faithful, and and uh, we can we can trust Him. I remember my sister, who's a musician. Some of you know her, and. Um, <clears throat> She had this song that she would sing, when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Because God's father love is there, regardless of what we can actually see happening to us. Join us singing Faithful One, so unchanging.
and gracious God and Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the faithful one. We thank you that as we experience life as it is for us today, whatever it might be like, whatever we are faced with, whatever we might be going through in these days, I pray that we will find that you are the anchor that holds us in the midst of any storm that might rage around us and that our hope will be in you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. God bless you as you go. Have a wonderful week. And thanks for coming out today. And for those who may be listening over the radio, we're glad that you joined us. God bless you. to Onaway Baptist Church Radio. We are located in the town of Onaway and invite you to join us every Sunday for our church service at 10.30 a.m. You can contact us by phone at 780-967-2266 or by email at admin at onawaybaptist.ca. Have a fantastic day.